Thank you for downloading the BBFC podcast. This episode deals with sexual violence, and because of this theme, we do not recommend the episode to listeners under the age of 15. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. It's simple. Kill the Batman. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Hello and welcome to the Film Classification Podcast from the BBFC. This is podcast number five and our special subject for this edition is sexual violence. More of that in a moment. Let me introduce you to my co-host for this edition. I'm James Blatch, by the way, I should say. And with me is David Austin. Hello, David. Hello, James. Now, David, you and I were fellow examiners, but then you decided to leave that august select body. And what do you do now for the BBFC? I'm now responsible for all classification policy matters. I'm head of policy at the BBFC. So David will talk about that as we go through the podcast, but I suppose, David, the examiners pedal away doing the work and then just above that sphere is this whole area of policy, quite a key role you have. That's right. I mean, our policies are based on the the guidelines which uh, come out every four years, updated every four years to take account of changing public attitudes and societal concerns. And our policies are based on those guidelines and, of course, on the, the laws that govern how we operate. Okay, well... Guidelines, laws and policy all come into play with sexual violence uh, shortly. But let's start, as always, with the latest news in terms of film classification. I just wanted to mention, of course, this is our centenary year, 1912. The board was founded as the British Board of Film Censors. Lots going on in our centenary year. And I'm going to talk about a film um, season, which is coming up a bit later in the year. But I wanted to mention, because it's live and happening and ready to go now, uh, is the merchandising. George Lucas started it in 1977, an extremely well-recognised and well-trusted set of category symbols which you could be walking around with on your very person. I'm holding in my hand a T-shirt which says, oh, I better not get a pen on it because I haven't paid for this. Uh, this is to certify and you can ed- certify, you can enter your name there, uh, has been classified for cinema exhibition. This is the 18 version but other categories are available on the day. Have you oh. got a T-shirt yet, David? I don't have one yet but all, all the categories from you up to 18 are available. And uh, any proceeds that uh, we, we make from the, the sale of merchandise is going to charity. Go to charity. We should say that the range includes mugs. It includes mugs. It includes um, bags. It includes... Travel wallets. Travel uh, oyster card holder. Yeah, you can find them on our eBay shop. Yeah, if you just put in BBFC in eBay, you will get to the, uh, the shop and you can see the range of merchandise. Pretty cool. We'll only be selling it this year. It's a want in a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Um, I think you can also win some. Empire Online, Empire the Film Magazine, are running a competition at the moment, and you can win some of that merchandise if you go and visit their website. Uh, Now, also in the news, we've seen that the government has announced the date for handing video games, or the video game system changing. Twelve, kind of the uh, mid-range video games, are losing their exemption under the new regime. The actual classification will be done by Peggy. And David, I know this is something you've been quite closely involved with over the, over the last couple of years. We have a date which is almost upon us. That's right. The government decided back in 2009 that video games should be regulated um, in the same way as normal video works that we classify, and that Peggy, um, operated by the Video Standards Council, will uh, classify video games. We've been working with the Video Standards Council and Peggy for the past two years to set up um, a, a system that's going to that's going to work for for video game classification. 
and that's happening this summer? Yes, the government's aim is for this to happen sometime towards the end of July. We will continue to classify a small number of games, those featuring uh, pornography and those ancillary game on Blu-ray Blu film discs that are attached to films, so we'll continue to do those. Yes, up until this point, the law governing which video games get classified, which don't, actually dates back to 1984, so it was time for an overhaul, as the government recognised a few years ago. Another area of the Video Recordings Act that the government is now looking at overhauling is the exemptions of video. So this is when you don't need to submit your work to the BBFC. And in broad terms, that's if it's predominantly a sport video, it's documentary or music videos. Now we've given the government our views on this, David, haven't we? And I know in particular music videos have changed somewhat from the Duran Duran Kajagoogoo days of the mid-1980s, uh, and they look a bit different. And is, is the government listening now to other people on this subject? It is. I mean, the, the government has decided to consult uh, on the issue of exempt video works. There's been, in the past few years, there's been a steady stream of complaints to us from parents about exempt video works why didn't, of, the, of the nature. Why didn't the BBFC classify this video? It's unsuitable for, for my child or my children. There's a certain amount of political and media concern in the area as well. And the problem is that back in 1984, the content of, of sports videos may have been the FA Cup final. Music videos, as you say, would have been generally more benign. But content has moved on quite considerably. I didn't say Kajagoogoo were benign. <laughs> that was your words, but anyway, carry on. There is a fair degree of, of concern about the content of these videos. We've been working with the video industry and the music industry on a proposal to government which would um, improve child protection by ensuring that any potentially harmful content in these videos is classified by the BBFC and kept away from children. And the government's now consulting on, on this issue. So and we'll, we'll be contributing to that alongside industry and parents groups and child protection groups. And can members of the public take yes. part in these consultations? Yeah, the consultation is on the DCMS website, so um, anyone can contribute to the consultation by looking, by just checking out the DCMS website. I do remember that Duran Duran actually did do quite an adult video with Girls on Film, which thinking back before the internet and YouTube, I'm wondering how many people showed it and it had nudity in it. And, sexual content certainly wouldn't have been shown on top of the pops. So uh, they were pioneers, clearly, of their day. Um, in terms of film classification news, I did want to mention Prometheus. It's going to be one of the big uh, summer blockbusters. There are quite a few uh, big films lined up for this summer. Prometheus has uh, attracted quite a lot of attention from the fanboys. I use the expression with great um, affection. Uh, who were concerned, uh, I should say, this is them, not us, concerned that Prometheus may be getting a PG-13 stroke 12A, and the head of the studio was actually doorstepped on the red carpet in the ward ceremony and asked this on American television, and he said, no, we're not going to be making cuts to Prometheus. And I can tell you, the BBFC have passed Prometheus 15. It has got uh, an R in the States, and it is coming to big screens near you. Now, an older film, when I'm out on the road, you must have had this, David, in the past at dinner parties occasionally, you get somebody who's quite film literate, they find out what your job is and they start rattling off to you, what should we say, some, some of the more eccentric decisions that the BBFC may have made in the past. Greece is one I get uh, put to me quite a lot when uh, children get to sort of eight or nine and the parents get out of Greece because it's a PG and are quite shocked by the level of sexual content in it. And the other one that gets thrown at us all the time is Jaws. The 1975, the original summer blockbuster, which was past PGA in its day, now a PG, 
That actually came back into our theatre uh, last week and was seen on the big screen. So it was a rare opportunity for us to think about what we're going to do with the certificate of this film. It, there's no question that the level of bloodletting in the film goes beyond what we would routinely pass at PG in this day and age. Uh, and the film has gone at 12, and I noticed quite a bit of chatter on Twitter uh, about that finally uprating and people asking me what else we're going to uprate. But I just wanted to point out the reason Jules went to 12 is because it was submitted again in theatre. You don't run off to um, the high street shops during the lunchtime, do you? Pull films off the shelf and decide that you're going to view them and put them up a category. Indeed not, no. Jaws came in for a new theatrical classification and of course back in 1975 there was no 12 or 12A rating and it was a choice between 15 and PG and PG Which was, is quite a stark choice. It is a stark it? choice which is one of the reasons that we introduced the 12 and then the 12A and um, between 15 and, and PG probably PG is the better classification but now we have a 12A that is better than both the two alternatives. Now, Jaws on 35mm, I guess, back in the day, in, in 1975, um, very much traditional cinema. I want to talk for a moment now about the future and the online space that we're moving into. Xbox Live Zoom is the latest uh, online presence to join the BBFC's scheme to get categories uh, from the BBFC for material that's only going to be available online. There's no legal framework for this at the moment. We don't censor the internet in this country. There's something that is talked about by politicians from time to time, but there's no plans on the uh, books at the moment. And the BBFC, however, have got together with large parts of industry from around the world who distribute in the UK, uh, who basically would like a BBFC service for their online material. They value the fact that it gives parents a good guide and it gives them a certain amount of protection as well. Um, and to get the full background on this, I had a chat with one of our former examiners, Mark Dawson, who's a, a trained lawyer but now working with us and for us uh, in this area of BBFC Online. In 2008, the industry came to us and uh, they realised that they didn't need to have content classified. It wasn't a legal requirement any, any longer if it was being released on the internet. But um, they um, could see that there was a strong case for continuing to have a classification for content so that people were aware of the kind of um, thing that they were, they were, they were choosing to view. Um, and that um, decision is obviously most important for um, consumers with children. Yeah, and I suppose part of it is an industry wanting to be responsible and to look responsible. And part of it, if we're honest, and it, it goes back to 1912 when we were set up originally, is wanting to make sure there's a framework in place before regulation and government and laws do it for you, which is the basis of the BBFC. That's right, and um, it obviously makes more sense for um, a structure to be put in place that the industry has a strong input in. We work extensively with um, studios and with trade organisations to make sure that our online service is fit for purpose. Um, the alternative, as you say, is, is for government to legislate and in those kinds of situations um, no one really wins. So this does leave, I mean the internet's vast and there's lots of video being streamed all over the place, uh, this does leave quite a lot of video that is not part of the BBFC, BBFC scheme and, and doesn't have a certificate. So why would a company opt into this, uh, you know, what might be seen by some as unnecessary regulation? Well, I have to pick you up on, on a point there, James. The, the, um, we've made some changes to the, the service that we've offered this year. Um, one of those changes is that anything the BBFC has ever classified on um, VHS, DVD or Blu-ray, so that's since 1984, 
now comes with an um, a online certificate at no extra cost to anybody. So that's over 210,000 pieces of content. Um, extremely extensive. Um, it also means that when um, someone submits something for classification under the Video Recordings Act now, um, so that would be if they're going to release something on DVD or Blu-ray, um, we give them an online classification again at no extra cost. So everything that we've ever classified has a has a digital certificate, and everything that we are classifying also comes with a digital certificate. And what sort of companies are coming to us and getting certificates? Um, well, on, on on the one hand, you've got the uh, the distributors who um, we've worked with to set up the scheme, and they've been um, in with us right from the start on this. So that's people like the majors, Disney, um, Warner Brothers, um, Sony, Paramount. Fox, those kinds of guys. Um, and then on the other hand, and this is where um, the public has the uh, interaction with our, our classifications, it's where you actually get the content from. So we've struck deals with Netflix, with um, Microsoft for the Xbox, for TalkTalk, BT Vision, people like that, um, Picturebox. Um, and also you'll, you'll start to see our, our classification symbols and other um, assets in other places. So for example, if you take a flight with BA this summer, um, you'll see a customised version of our famous BBFC black card preceding all the films that they um, carry on their in-flight entertainment services. And that's also true for um, British Midland, um, Thomson and Monarch Airlines. Yeah, in fact, I classified my first British Airways film a couple of weeks ago. And I did one slightly before that, so yeah, yeah we, we're starting to do quite quite a few of those now. Yeah, and um, this is quite a, an exciting area of the BBFC. I mean, it's an organisation that didn't change a lot, I guess, between 1912 and 1984, uh, but the pace of change is accelerating, and I guess you really feel that where you are. Yeah, it changes every day. I mean, we, 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 we come in, into contact with um, all kinds of different situations that need a slightly different spin on the service that we provide. The airlines is a, is a good example. They, you know, they want something that's a little different than um, the Netflix does, for example. So it keeps you on your feet. Um, the, the one constant thing is that everyone recognises and trusts our classifications. Um, our symbols are, you know, the world famous is probably putting it too highly, but in, in this country they're exceptionally well known. We've got great brand recognition and, and this is the kind of this kind of work is, is, is something that we're very keen to do in order to provide um, people with the same kind of information that they've grown used to when they, they go into HMV to buy a, a DVD. We want them to, be, to have the same kind of information when they're making viewing choices online. Mark Dawson chatting to me earlier. Um, just to underline the fact that we are making progress uh, online and adapting the organisation, um, a couple of weeks ago the BBFC was honoured uh, to receive an award by the British Video Association, the BVA. Um, this was a special recognition award, and I shall read a little bit of it, just blow our own trumpet briefly. Um, the BVA said the BBFC has employed an outward-facing and commercially focused approach to achieve the status of a modern, responsive organisation. It's aimed to stay ahead of the curve in our rapidly evolving industry by keeping up to date with the latest technology. And David, I know this is an area that you're involved with as well, and you've um, been overseeing some of this work, it's crucial that organisations like the BBFC keep pace with technology because there's a, a swift chance that we'll just be left behind if we don't. Exactly, and I think the award also reflects the, the partnership that we've developed with the video industry over the past few years. Um, we commissioned some research last year into what our customers in the video and film industry need from us, and their comments were essentially um, that we have changed enormously. The relationship that we have is, is much more cooperative partnership than a sort of scary regulator. Um, they understand 
uh, they accept the guidelines. The guidelines, are, uh, classification guidelines, are helpful to them in the sense that it makes they make our decisions predictable, and they're understood by the public. And um, we are trusted by the public, and that's enormously helpful for the industry. And I think we, we touched earlier on the consultation that the government uh, just launched into exempt videos. And it's uh, notable that we've worked very closely with the BVA and its members in drawing up a proposal. So that's an example of the sort of partnership work that we're doing these days. Great. Okay, it's time to move on to our chosen subject for this week, which is sexual violence. Okay, you've had your fun. I'll give you one more chance. And if you don't clear out now, there'll be real trouble. I mean it. This is David Sumner. All his life he's been running away, turning his back on trouble, involvement, and confrontation. Until now. Five men out there. I know that. Aficionados will recognise Straw Dogs, the original version, and we're going to uh, talk about that in a few moments. But we always start at the lower categories and go up and we talk about these specialised subjects. So UNPG, there's not really a lot to say. UNPG in terms of sexual violence, we would only be passing very oblique references, very oblique indications, maybe the passing mention of rape in something else. It may be even a historical context, and there's not really a field of sexual violence that we're passing at UMPG, so we're not going to talk in any detail about that. 12A is the first category where it is possible in a work to portray, or at least to imply, uh, that a sexual violence, a sexually violent attack has taken place. What we say in our guidelines about it is that sexual violence may only be implied or briefly and discreetly indicated, and it must have strong contextual justification. Um, in terms of examples of where this part is passed, I actually had a historical one that came back uh, in quite recently, which is Sergio Leone's Once Upon a Time in the West, um, where there is the main hero character actually looks as if he is about to sexually violently attack uh, the main heroine character in it. However, as it transpires, he was trying to draw in somebody else. Now, what happens in that film is it looks like it's going to happen. It's, it's clearly implied, and that's what we're talking about really at 12 and 12A, isn't it, David? Exactly. I mean, the point about the, the portrayal being discreet is absolutely crucial. If you take a film like The Kite Runner, for instance, where there is a, um, quite a powerful um, sequence of, scene of sexual violence, there is, there is um, no nudity in the scene. There's some pulling at clothes, and then there's... The, the camera cuts away and then there's an indication after the assault that the assault has taken place with some blood dripping on the ground but it's 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 brief and very discreetly shot and indicated. Now I can imagine that some parents may be listening to this and, and thinking why are you even passing any sexual violence at 12? But it's, it's always worth pointing out the mantra that we use in this building that context is very important, context is probably everything and that a film like The Kite Runner which is a very interesting dramatization of a life in Afghanistan um, it does require that moment to put that boy's life into context and it plays you know in terms of what we call contextual justification plays an important role in the overall film and it is the overall film that we always look at when making these decisions exactly it's the pivotal scene in the film it's it, 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 it's essential for dramatic purposes without it the film wouldn't make that much sense um, and, and, and again in relation to sexual violence, it's one of the issues we consulted the public on in 2009, 
and we asked the public, is, is sexual violence ever an appropriate issue to debate, to, to be portrayed at uh, the 12, 12A category? And the answer came back, yes, in certain circumstances, but it has to be contextually justified, it has to be very discreetly indicated. And the kite runner is, is, a, is, a, is a good example of, of, of a scene of sexual violence that perfectly fits the 12 guidelines. Thank you. And perhaps another example, if uh, people want to research us a bit further, is Out of Time, which uh, also has an opening scene. Now, when it comes to 15, actually, there isn't a huge number of strong sexual violence examples at 15. One of the reasons for that is once you're at 15, the style and the allowance for violence and uh, having some amount of process and detail means that sexual violence is often the subject that takes a work from 15 into 18, to the adult category. Um, as an examiner, I think on a day-to-day, week-to-week business. Uh, I often end up with examples at 15 in television series like CSI and Law and Order Special Victims Unit in particular which does deal with sexual crimes. Uh, quite often those series if they do focus on sexual violence have such a relentless focus on it. it's not anything that can be contained at 12 uh, because it's just not discreet enough. So they're quite typical 15 examples um, of sexual violence. And I think you've got one there David as well. Yeah, there's a, a Spanish language film called Night of the Sunflowers, which features uh, a sequence in which uh, a middle-aged man attempts to rape a, a young woman. And again, the focus of the scene is very much on the, the trauma suffered by the woman, the violence, rather than any kind of sexual detail. The guidelines, uh, I should mention at 15, state that there may be detailed verbal references to sexual violence, but any portrayal of sexual violence must be discreet and have strong contextual justification. So then going up, we get to 18, and because sexual violence is one of those very high-end topics, it's been the subject of great controversy historically, we're going to talk about one or two of the historical uh, pieces, but I've subdivided 18 into uncut, cut, rejected, and some of those interesting ones from the past. Um, at 18, we take an overarching view as an organisation that adults should be free to watch what they want within terms of what's legal or not, but we do have a caveat about the potential for harm, in fact we're legally obliged under the VRA to be mindful for the potential for harm in home viewing, and sexual violence is that one area, David, isn't it, where it's most likely, I think, um, to trigger intervention. Exactly. I mean, at the top end at 18, um, we do get more sequences of sexual violence, not surprisingly, at the, at the top end and we have to analyse quite carefully um, how the scene is shot, what, what likely effect there is on the viewer. Um, and the key issue for us is always the effect that the juxtaposition of potentially arousing images with violent images might have on the viewer. And in making these judgments, we're basing our conclusions and our decisions on um, research that um, we have carried out ourselves in relation to what the public thinks could be potentially harmful and in 2002 Guy Cumberbatch did uh, a major piece of research for us on um, public, what the public felt was acceptable um, and unacceptable and harmful and not harmful in relation to depictions of sexual violence. There's also quite a lot of US research from the 1980s on media effects in relation to um, sexual violence. That research is contested, so we couldn't base our policy entirely on that, so we do carry out our own research. And in fact, um, we've commissioned Ipsos Murray to carry out some research this year on depictions of sexual and sadistic violence and what the public considers to be potentially harmful. 
and we'll be publishing that research later in the year. Well, let's talk about some examples then at 18. The first one I wanted to mention is Gaspar Noé's uh, film Irreversible, or Irreversible, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Um, now, this, I think, is a very good example of a very strong subject matter and a very strong scene, which is acceptable at 18. And this is a locked-off shot of a woman being brutally raped in an underpass. Sorry, this is a spoiler, by the way, if you, uh, you haven't worked that out already. Um, the film, interestingly, plays backwards. There's actually another very memorable moment in it, right at the beginning of very strong violence, very strong gory violence, and its justification doesn't become clear because of the way the film pans, it runs backwards, until later, and that this is that moment. Um, now, there are two key things about this scene. One is that it's what we would call aversive. There are no, as you mentioned, David, there are no, there's no conflation with an arousal element. There's no erotic elements, there's no nudity, there's no um, any of these traits we'd expect in a scene perhaps of sex, of normal sex and the way it's portrayed. Secondly, I think it's very crucial in this scene is the camera's locked off, you are distanced from it. And there's not even the opportunity for the person who perhaps is getting the wrong type of arousal from such a scene, i.e. enjoying the discomfort. Uh, and the attack. There's not even that opportunity because you can't really engage with this in that way. No way's very cleverly set that scene up. Exactly. I mean, our key tests in looking at the acceptability of sexual violence at 18 is whether the, the sequence of sexual violence eroticizes or endorses the act of sexual violence. And it's absolutely clear from the way Gaspar Noé has shot the sequence and the, the entire film, in fact, that um, the, the depiction of rape is an, is an absolutely horrific, brutal and heinous act that devastates the lives of, of everyone involved and there's no attempt to trivialise or titillate or in any way. Yeah, people often ask me what's the strongest film I've watched in. We see, we see some pretty nasty stuff, especially the real violence which you get occasionally. But I have to say, Irreversible had an impact on me. I don't think I've had that since. It's a very, very powerful film. It's not for the faint-hearted, that film, but if you're interested in this subject, it's a bit of a must-watch as well. Yeah, I think I'd agree with you. I don't think I've seen, in terms of fictional works, a more powerful, a powerful film since I've been at the board. OK, so we do intervene on this subject matter from time to time, and an example of that, quite recent example, actually, is I Spit on Your Grave, and this is not the original uh, part of the video nasty, the DPP's list uh, from the 80s. This is the remake. And uh, I think this was a very interesting one to bring up, David, because there was a particular way part of the rape scene was filmed that troubled us. Exactly. I think the, the rape sequence did invite viewer complicity through the way it was filmed. Um, there was quite a focus on male enjoyment as well. And we considered that the, some of the elements in the, rape, in, the, in the gang rape scene that dominates the first half of the film did uh, carry um, the potential to cause harm and we therefore intervened to um, get rid of what we felt were the harmful elements. We um, are testing the film with the public as part of the sexual violence research that we're doing this year to see if the public thinks we got it right or whether they think we should have cut more or whether they think we should have left it alone. So we'll see what the public thinks later in the year. And if you wonder more precisely what we're talking about here, in contrast to Noe's locked off shot that leaves you very much as a distant viewer of the scene. That scene was partially shown through a camcorder held by one of the participants. Exactly. Opposite way. So a way a director approaches a scene can have an implication 
very much so in this building uh, with these subjects as to whether something's acceptable or we feel there's a genuine real world harm. We move on from cut uh, at 18 to the ultimate sanction we have which is rejection and we've had a couple in recent years and uh, one I wanted to mention from last year was the bunny game. David can you just explain uh, why we rejected the bunny game. Well, The Bunny Game is a film about a truck driver who abducts uh, a prostitute, uh, puts her in the back of his van um, and ties her up and sexually tortures her for the entire running time of the film. There really is nothing to the film other than the sexual torture of, of a young woman. And it, it is shot in such a way that there is a, quite a, a bit of erotic detail. And there's a, se there's a sequence in particular shortly after um, she's been abducted where she's unconscious she's still been she's been drugged by the truck driver and she's still unconscious and he kind of fundles her body and there are close-ups of, of you know parts of her body and it's shot in quite an eroticized way and the, the viewer is invited to sort of take some pleasure in what's being done to this young woman and we felt that we consider that because there is really nothing else to the film than this kind of sexual torture. Yeah, there's nothing else on offer from the film other than taking pleasure in the sexual torture of a, of a young woman in a way that to us raised a harm risk. So we uh, refused, to refused to classify the film. And our guidelines make it clear uh, at 18 uh, where it says material or treatment that appears to the BBFC to risk harm to individuals or through their behaviour to society. For example, any detailed portrayal of violent or dangerous acts, illegal drug use, which may cause harm to public health or morals. Uh, this includes portrayals of sexual or sexualised violence, which might, for example, eroticise or endorse sexual assault. Now, we can't talk about sexual violence without visiting some of the... Uh, films that loom over the BBFC uh, from the past. One of those we heard from earlier is Straw Dogs. The Straw Dogs is notorious, that scene, because I think most people understand it's a nuanced decision even back in its day where there's a rape that's taking place and then the impression that the victim of the rape, a woman uh, in this case, starts to enjoy herself and that caused a lot of problems for, uh, for our examiners back in the day and frankly you can see why and that would be in a modern presentation of a film um, and there was a remake of Straw Dogs that didn't contain that that amount of ambiguity but that is a problem as well isn't it because that's what we talk about when we talk about an endorsement of sexual violence. Yes I mean one of the things that we that we considered in relation to Straw Dogs and in, in, in other more recent films is whether the depiction of rape endorses the rape myth which suggests that women respond to and enjoy rape because it is a very challenging scene in which um, Amy, the character played by Susan George, does respond to um, the rape um, that she, to which she submitted by Charlie, and she does appear to respond and enjoy it. Um, we know from the narrative of the film that they were a couple in the past and they do have a quite a complicated relationship, but that is the, the rape myth is undermined by the second rape in the sequence in which she clearly detests and hates being raped by another character and um, we felt that we that the two uh, rapes together made it clear that the sequence does not endorse the rape myth. Um, and Straw Dogs plays on our fear of a home invasion being attacked in your, your own home. Um, a film that was not, not a dissimilar time, Clockwork Orange, Stanley Kubrick's uh, film, 
also had a home invasion sequence, um, which was also quite strong. And in the case, I, I was watching it the other day, actually, and, and thinking about the amount of nudity and, and one or two tropes that we would associate with slight eroticisation would, would give us problems. But the board took a, a view at the time, despite the fact they told uh, Kubrick on advice when the film was submitted on script that he probably wouldn't get a certificate. They actually passed it uncut. And I can see why, because they take the film as a whole, and it's what we talk about in terms of... of um, of context, the, the whole thing is a thesis on violence and a thesis on sexual violence and there's a certain amount of distancing from the real world because of the way they talk and uh, the way it's set in the future. Um, and that film I think was quite a well-lauded decision at the time um, to pass it uncut and it's, it's, it's stood up well. Lots of people think by the way Clockwork Orange was rejected by us, it never was, it's never been cut by us. It was Kubrick himself after apparently death threats to his family who ordered the uh, film not to be distributed anymore, it's only after he died that he got its distribution again. We've never intervened with it. That's right, and as you say, it's a highly stylized film. In fact, the, the, the most famous rape sequence in the film is, is a highly stylized affair. It's distanced from reality. Um, there's a, just a brief sight of the rape itself, and all those factors taken into account led us to pass it uncut back in the early 70s. And I think the script that was submitted in the late 60s um, based obviously on Anthony Burgess's novel, uh, had a, a, lot, a lot of the stronger elements in it. And there's the rape of a child in the novel, which in the end wasn't put into the film. So it's one of the reasons why the advice for uh, Kubrick uh, that was that he wasn't going to get certificate, but in the end he did. Um, just want to mention one more perhaps then from the historical past, and we'll wrap this, this section up. And David, that's Death Wish 2, Michael Winner, and a film that has both rape as a problematic theme and also revenge as a problematic theme. That's right. Death Wish 2 we, we've, has been submitted several times to us and it's been cut uh, each time. The opening rape of the film um, we felt was quite an irres irresponsible portrayal of, of this violent act for, for two particular reasons. First of all, there was quite a bit of erotic detail, breast nudity and, and, and things like that in the rape, which could serve to arouse uh, a viewer. And the second issue was there's a real focus on male enjoyment, the thrusting by the rapists, sort of groans of pleasure, there's laughter and cheering from the other um, members of the gang who commit the rape. So encouragement to rape, it seemed to be an enjoyable act. Uh, and th we also felt that was potentially harmful and so um, those elements of the rape scene um, we cut and remain, they remain cut to this day. And that does highlight an area that occasionally um, happens to us as we end up having to carefully balance scenes. So a scene that can be very strong, for instance that rape scene at the beginning of a film, if we cut it back too much and cut almost everything out, what you then end up with is a film where somebody goes on an, a rampage, a violent revenge-fueled rampage for apparently no reason. So, you know, you do need a strong scene at the beginning, but as you say, it was those erotic elements and the lingering that, that crosses that, that boundary that concerns us very much with the potential for harm in the real world. So, a film that goes back to the 80s but is still cut to this day. That's right. Yeah. Okay, David, thank you very much indeed. Thanks, James. For being my co-host today. Um, if you've got any questions, comments, or there's a particular area you would like us to cover on a future podcast, don't hesitate to get in touch with us. You can email us at podcast at bbfc.co.uk we'd love to hear from you don't forget to visit the eBay store for your merchandise to celebrate 100 years of the BBFC and until next time 
Back from me, James Blatch, goodbye. And goodbye from me. Oh, it was gorgeousness and gorgeousity made flesh. <laughs>